I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Hi, I'm Mitchell Kaplan. You're listening to The Literary Life. Today's episode is the second part of my conversation with Dave Cullen, the author of Parkland. He talks about the Parkland kids who were so heroic after the murder of their classmates. He talks more about the writing process, and he also intimates just what the effect was of writing that very first book, Columbine. So stay with us on The Literary Life. We're back. With me is Dave Cullen, the author of Parkland. You and I intersect just a little bit because of geography. Uh, We both went to University of Colorado. I'm older than you are, and I went earlier. But you went a little later uh, to get your... It was an MFA, but they didn't call it an MFA. Yeah, yeah, right? they called it an MA. They finally right. changed it. But so you at heart really are a writer, and you were a fiction writer yeah, in many I, ways. Yeah, I went there well. to write fiction and to be a novelist. And um, So what was that early before? And, and you just happened to be, and this is what I didn't realize as well, you were in Boulder when Columbine happened. Well, right? in Denver, because I would already Denver. moved, but I was staying You were in Denver, yeah. when, so that's what drew you to it. Otherwise, it might not have been something that you would have been following. Not at all. And, and that, that's also And I'd be advice. talking to you about your novel that just came yeah, out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's my advice to writers, or journalists, but anybody is like, uh, that day, I just got in my car and went. And I thought like, oh, this is probably not, because there was, there was actually reports of gunfire, but no, uh, no injuries. I thought right. it was probably nothing. I left a voicemail with Joan Walsh, then my editor at um, Salon, uh, apologizing, saying, oh, it's probably nothing. It won't be a national story, but... Uh, I just got in my car and went. So much of life is like, well, actually, Woody Allen said 99% life is showing up. Sure. Like, but but talk about work. showing up but, at okay, Boulder. Yeah, what yeah, was that Boulder. like when you okay. were there? Why, <clears throat> yeah, so, <clears throat> why did you end up there? What did you think you were going to do as a writer? 
Well, so I thought I was going to write fiction and write novels, and that's what I was working on. And then I had this wonderful prof, Peter Michelson, um, who in his class, it was, a, it, was, it was a literature class, but about contemporary uh, writers. And, um, and it's kind of wonderful. We had to do one paper for the semester. But the main thing was every week we just had to we'd read a book a week and write a easy two or three page paper, uh, not for a great just partly to show we read the book, but also really to start thinking about the book. Right. And it was any kind of response and um, and just sort of like, just respond to it. It didn't be formal, didn't have to like a conclusion or whatever, just just riff, whatever. Um, which that was the most liberating thing that ever happened to me for a couple of things because like, because uh, I really just enjoyed doing it and I didn't try to do structure, didn't try to do anything. And I didn't even think about, like, I played with the language a lot. I was just, like, silly stuff and, like, the musicality of stuff because I could. And I just had fun with it. And about halfway through the semester, um, he said, I want to talk to you about your papers. He kept putting really good comments on them. And he said, I want to talk to you. And we walked across the quad. And he was trying to tell me something, which I wasn't getting. And halfway across the quad, he said, stop. You're not getting this. He made me physically stop. Look at me. I'm not trying to tell you you're going to get an A in the class. I'm trying to tell you there's something unique about your papers. It's really interesting. Uh, you have a knack for this essay stuff. Have you ever thought about doing this? Ah. And I was like, writing essays? Or, or nonfiction. Yeah. And I was like, ugh, essays? And he's like, you idiot. Because he would just sort of like be that like, like, you have some idea that essays is this boring thing. Like, you don't really understand what an essay is. Like, what you're doing, what you've just been turning in is essays. Do you enjoy that? Yeah, I love doing them. Like, well, so you like writing essays. You just didn't know. Like, you weren't calling them that. I was like, oh. Um, and so he actually said, um, what's going on in your life? Like, he knew he would go out drinking with us and he knew, like, uh, one thing is like, what about this? Why don't you write about that? He's like, just write me a scene. I said, okay. He's like, write that scene tonight. Bring it to my office tomorrow. Two or three pages. I don't care. Just come up with a goddamn scene. So I wrote a scene. I brought it in, he's like, freaking amazing. Now, write this as a book. And I was like, really? He's like, write a memoir. He's like, this is fantastic. Now, write the rest of this. And so then, um, so, uh, so bring me like the first chapter in like a week or two whenever you did. And so a couple weeks later, I came with the first chapter and he read it and he called me back and he's like, what the hell is this? And I was like, what? He's like, the thing you wrote was first person. Uh, it was authentic. It's like, I was right there. It was like you. And then you turn in this thing, it's like, where did this 19th century disembodied <laughs> narrator come from? Third person narrator, like, what, what, how did Dickens write this thing? <laughs> like, who is this person who I don't care, sounds like complete crap, he's not you. Like, where did you get this? I'm like, he's like, quit trying to write with a capital W, like, be a writer. Just write your fucking story. Like, be Tell it. Tell like you did the first time. Throw this away. Don't ever do this again. And write like the other scene. That's why I told you to do a scene so you wouldn't go. And that's when I found my voice, oh, which so I'm nice. really convinced that we all talk about finding your voice. And I think it's real. But I don't think it's finding your voice. I think it's believing in your voice. Mm -hmm. I think everybody, almost everybody who finds their voice is like, it was there the whole time. You didn't trust it. You thought, nobody's going to like that. I can't write a whole book that way. It's not good enough. So you try to be this other, you try to do these other things, which are affectations. They, they're complete bullshit. They don't feel authentic. It's, you throw that, all that shit away and just go back to the voice that you already had. I try to, I hope my books sound like the way I'm talking right now, but 
a so. heightened version and uh, like tightened and like not as rambling and, well, and figuring out the story and the characters, but the, it should sound like you. Well, and, and, and what you're telling, the story that you're telling is also the story of what a really wonderful mentor can do. Yes, well. exactly. And you had some others, like you were Lucia, talking about Lu oh, Lucia, Lucia Berlin. Berlin. And oh others. my God. And, Who's now famous, but I knew her when she was a nobody and just this sweet lady <laughs> and it like you know it uh pushing an oxygen cart and a reformed alcoholic but like the stories of her like crazy lives when she was an alcoholic with her you know three different you know drug addict husbands um and it was really well, weird yeah, you know, okay. one of the things we like Which to do about, but one of the things we like to do is talk about <laughs> some new books coming out and lucia who died unfortunately has some new things coming out yes. why don't you talk about yeah an evening in paradise and it was like two books paired together that Farrah strauss drew did um which is all the rest of her remaining short stories right. her entire output of her life so um the two, A Manual for Cleaning Woman, and, which is amazing, and this one, which is all the rest of her work. Um, I mean, the New York Times has called her a genius so many times now because she freaking is. Yeah. Um, and then she's got The Companion, which I forget. Welcome Home? Um, it's that something like she? that. I forget it, too. But it's, it's, her, it's her letters and diaries with and photographs. Mm -hmm. It's all about her life, but mm -hmm. it's in her voice, yep. basically. And that one, to me, is more forgettable because like, I, I already knew all that stuff. Right. And I knew right. it. I'd, I'd read all that stuff. I was like, this is great that they're doing it. But like, I, I knew her. She's an extraordinary person. And she's the one, by the way... Um, I think did we I lose track? Did we talk about like method writing and method acting in this conversation? Um, I got that from Lucia. So when I was trying to write fiction, so um, so I got to writing school as having done it myself a lot, but like really, Henri, I, I only take one literature course as an undergrad. I was a math and computer science undergrad major, um, and I taken one course uh, that was it, and no formal writing courses except since high school. Um, and uh, college journalism, but, um, so I didn't know like a lot of the basics and uh, they were constantly talking about rhythm in, you know, in, in our workshops. And I'm like, what the fuck's rhythm? <laughs> and I was like, what a rhythm? Like, that's a thing. Like, I didn't even know, like, you know, some of the basics. And then, so, the, and within a semester, I like pretty much realized like, oh, I don't have any. Like, there's a reason I didn't know that word. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. There is no rhythm to my stuff. So then I started trying to work on it. And by this time, I was getting to know Lucia. And she started the same day as I did, but her as a prof. Mm -hmm. Actually, she's a visiting writer and then became um, uh, uh, an associate professor. But um, we, we, we became friends. And um, But, I, you know, I came to her. Uh, and most of what I learned was outside of class. We actually quarreled sometimes in class. But um, but I was like, okay, so, like, I'm, I'm working on the... Uh, the rhythm thing, and I'm trying to get, I was just all these things like how to do the rhythm. And she's like, darling, uh, you're going about it all wrong. And, um, and uh, she said, you just need to, when you're writing a scene, you need to feel that scene. Whatever the characters, whatever it's like, you need to actually feel that. And the rhythm will just take care of itself, mm -hmm. it'll come out. And I was like, for, I sort of had two responses. First, like, oh, that's a really cool idea to feel what I never thought of that while you're doing it. But number two was like, what the hell does that have to do with rhythm? Like, how will I? And I told her that. Like, we're pretty blunt. That's what she loved about it. Um, she's like, darling, just trust me. Just try it. Um, and I was like, okay, that's a stupid idea, but I'm going to try it. And it worked. And I was like, so I don't even know how, but it just, well, because it just now, put you in the. It just seems like, it seems like that writing, writing program meant and, and had such an amazing impact huge. on you. You know what? And there's like two schools of thought about creative <laughs> writing programs. Yeah, Are they good or bad? I'm like. 
you get what you're put in and also what you're willing. I but you also, also think, came to it a little later, right? Yes, exactly. So you, in my 30s. You I was, were you working in the computer science world? Yeah, yeah, or? yeah. And I'd been a management consultant. I'd gone to Kuwait for two years. So this was by and choice. And you yes. had, you had and I, life experience. Exactly. Well. I came back and partly I studied anthropology as a grad student too. I want, I felt I had done my field work in Kuwait and now wanted to write about that. Um, and I had another great prof, Reg Sonner, um, no, I had a class with I had a class with two out of the three actually. Oh, that's that's kind of I had of a amazing. class with Red Sonner as well. He, he won a National Book Award for his collection of poetry. Yeah, he's, he's he's amazing. He was amazing. Listen, I feel like we've just had a really great uh, writing class just now. <laughs> I mean, the lessons that you just gave. But I got and, it from and all the way those other people. No, yeah, of course, yeah, but that's yeah. always done that yeah, way. Yeah. But it, you know, you, you I think you've just proven the worth of what a writing program could actually do. You write with a rhythm, and I don't now. know. You, you write with an amazing rhythm. I mean, even the first, when you open the opening in the prologue, uh, gun country, half the country, fighting them, provoking them, alarming them, was doomed to failure, more failure, decades of failure. They had to try something new. They had to engage them. I mean, that in itself just drew me in immediately when, Good. You, when, when I- you write that way. Tom, you know, I I don't think I'd do Tom Wolf or anything, but I got a lot of, um, early on, Tom Wolf was really a big influence. The electric Kool-Aid acid test. Oh, yeah. But I thought then really the right stuff is where he had gotten into, like, the electric Kool-Aid acid test, he was really trying, and it was really kind of cool, but it was still a little affected. By the right stuff, it was just internalizing. Yeah. He did it. But I, what I loved, he was the first one I read, is just like, he's trying to just sort of like right in a rhythm and like the way he's feeling or like the the way it the way you experience it and so i have i think it's been so long since i've even read him but like that goal of just trying to like get it out the way it is and like and sometimes i'll write stuff and then i'm like okay i'm too explainy or i'm too whatever and like go back to just how i feel it and like you know and if, well, if we're telling the story what you know well i mean norman mailer tom mm-hmm. wolf all oh, that whole new journalism mm-hmm. yeah and it was all you can tell who gets it right and who doesn't you can tell who's just doing it stylistically and who's really has insight and i think you bring the best of all of them because you know for me mailer used to get it right a lot i mean i lived through a couple of things that he wrote about in his nonfiction, and it seems so right mm-hmm. as opposed to like hunter thompson who didn't always get it so yeah, right. Uh, right yeah. Well, he, you know, it was through a haze or <laughs> was, whatever it was I through. I was thinking, right. Yeah. But you combine them both where you're getting it really, really right. You're writing beautifully. And at the same time, you are, in essence, doing something that you might not have set out to do, but you've been effectuating change as well, just by bringing this message out. We'll be right back with The Literary Life. Back with me is Dave Cullen. The book is on the bestseller list. Uh, you've got a lot of things in the works, I know, about some of the other books. Two and Gay Soldiers coming up. Yeah, 20 years so into tell, it. tell me about okay. that other the, that book. Yeah, what so that's the, what I spent most of the last 10 years on, and really some of the last since the year 2000. Um, this is actually another itch version of the story where I just took a left turn because um, I was doing a, a piece for Joan Walsh for Salon. Uh, on gays in the military. And I 
came up, she wanted me to do a piece. I'd already covered Columbine for her. Um, and she wanted me to do a piece. And I came up with an idea of doing something about how um, a generational shift and the younger officers like juniors and below were much more comfortable with gays and the old brass was still really right. homophobic. Right. And what that was like, she's like, that's fantastic. And like, I was working on that. And she said, um, partway through, do you think you could get like a quote or something from like uh, a quote or two from like uh, somebody on active duty? And I was like, oh, God, no, that's impossible. Like, they, they can't, they're in hiding. They're like, uh, but, but it also became a challenge. Um, I'm like, okay, I've got to. Um, and then she was like, okay, don't buy it. Like, it doesn't need him in the piece. It would just add a bit of color. But I, no, I'm going to. And um, I had all kinds of contests because I'd covered the Matthew Shepard murder trial with the Glad people, and they loved me. Right. Um, and so I had people at HRC and SLDN and GLAD, and they tried getting me some. And after about a month of that, while working on the story, they said, um, okay, it's never going to happen. Nobody's ever done that. It's too dangerous. No, we're never going to get a soldier. We've tried. Um, so I'm like, ugh. So uh, I, lived in, I lived in Denver. Uh, Colorado Springs is yeah, about a 80 miles from there. Base. And surrounded by, surrounded by military bases. Right. There's four or five of them surrounding it. And there's like one huge gay bar in the middle of town. It's so also like, where the Black Klansman took place. Oh, I it think. is? Oh, I, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen I, anything last year. Except well, like, no, no, yeah. but I mean, I think the, the story uh, of the Black Klansman was in Colorado oh, Springs. The, well, they Very call complicated it, yeah, place. Yeah, they call it the Evangelical uh, Vatican. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and there's like one huge gay bar in the middle of town. So like... I went to the gay bar on a Saturday night at Colorado Springs. I drove down there. And um, which, by the way, uh, I do tell this story in that that, that book is partially done. Um, while I was there, I decided, oh, this is cruel. Like, uh, you saw who, the, I know the haircut, the wall. Uh, they're not hard to pick out of the crowd. Um, but I decided, like, they're in their safe place. This is at the height of doing this, don't tell in the year 2000. Um, I'm not going to, like, come up to them here right, and accost them. I'm like, this is a terrible idea. Um, I'd be a total asshole. So, um, but by then it was, like, 11, 11.30. I'm looking at my watch and to get back to Denver. I could get up there for last call, like, by 1.30. And so, like, I'm a gay guy on a Saturday night. So, I'm like, okay, I'm here. It's a dance floor. Um, I'm just going to get drunk and dance, and this will be my Saturday night. Um, and so I just started pounding, <laughs> pounding beers and uh, not thinking about the fact it's kind of a small town. I was new meat. I was younger, beefier. Like, uh, they came to me. I <laughs> uh. <laughs> got a group of them kind of surrounded me. And like, so, who are you? What's your story? And then when they found out I was a journalist, I kept changing the subject when they asked. And they, they literally ran away. It was like Coyote and Roadrunner. Except one guy stayed. And wanted to know, and he's one of the two stars of my book. Wow. And then he brought me into his whole world, his community, introduced me to the other guys who didn't want to. And I, I spent five months with them, did a piece called Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Don't Fall what in Love. What year was this? 2000. So it was before, the, it was during the Don't In the ask, midst of it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had to change their names and identities, which wow. we had an editor's note. Um, it won a Glad Media Award because nobody had ever had I had three guys, three captains there uh, in the Marines and, uh, and the Army. Uh, and then two of them, so I stayed friends with, I, I became friends with them. Well, it was another, and then after right. college, completely, oh, but partway through about a month after just like hanging out with them and being in their world, which is completely different than I expected, even having, well, being a gay guy and having been in the military, it was still completely different than I expected. And I called Joan at one point and said, um, you know the story we're working on? I think that's much <laughs> such a much better story. Like just right. their lives, like an ethnographic piece of what it's right. like to be gay right. in the military. And I pitched some of it. She's like, great, stop. The it became an 11,000 word, two-part piece. Wow. Won a Glad Media Award because it was like, 
yeah, this is, this is better. And then that became a book. And then it became the book. And so I, I've been following them for 19 years. And I'm going to tell you one more quick story. for 19, 19 years. Because I became wow. friends with them. I have been to, well, I, I won't say whether they're still in or at least one of them. I've been to one marriage. I've been to like the funeral of one of their fathers, retirement ceremonies. Right. I've been to like so many events at their houses when they both lived in dc so i would go down there and spend a weekend so where know, are you on the parents book? where are you at it i'm now? about halfway done writing it and um it's gonna the, be most of the research and so you've gone through all the changes when they did away with don't look don't tell yeah it's sort of the before well it, my question now with my editor who the same editor i worked on with this so uh is the scope of this book i mean this could be kind of long. It's really, it's don't ask, it started as don't ask, don't tell through their eyes before, during, and after, because they were in right. the service before, during, and after right. it. It's the whole story, but it really becomes the story of the gay rights movement yeah. through this one. They're the characters who walk you through yeah. that, but it's also through American adventures and misadventures in the Middle East yeah, yeah, you have over a, that period. It's the entire period. You were telling me that there's a surprise that you can't announce now. Yes, that but, I can't, yeah. But it sounds very, very interesting. It has something to do with another media. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that's very good. Well done. And uh, we're excited about that. And I have to say, listening to you for this uh, podcast, I think we're going to probably have to make it into two parts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> given given <laughs> all that, probably, all like, that we've discussed. No, no, no. I mean, we've discussed writing. We've discussed your books. We've discussed your history. It's You are... You are truly the anthropologist that oh, you never you. thought you were going to be, yeah. given the way you have this interest in so many things and so many people, and you love to observe. And I love the idea that you call yourself a participatory anthropologist as I'm well. I'm going to throw really quick, Lori Anderson. Ah, she is a spoken word thing. She's Why amazing. Need, Which one? She, I can't remember, and i got to find this, but she says something. I'm going to paraphrase it. something like, uh, my real job is I'm a spy. Yeah. And then she describes, like, at airports, one of her favorite listening posts, and she describes, like, the salesman she hears. I heard that. It was the second time. I was like, and she means, like, cultural spy. Again, even more than the observer, I'm like, that's what I am. I'm a spy. I'm well, a cultural you know, spy. it's that's really interesting because there's a book that I've been looking at that has an introduction by Laurie Anderson that just came out what? on the essays of Sigrid, and I'm blanking on her last name. I'll have it. It's Sigrid. It's, it's a... Sigrid Schuli or something. I'll show it to you. And she, it's, she's a, she was apparently someone who covered art for Art Forum, but she would always get really beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And she became a very good friend of Laurie Anderson and Lou Reed before he died. Mm -hmm. But she writes in this, in this introduction a lot of what you're talking about in terms of what Sigrid did, in terms of what this woman did. I think any of us in, in the arts of a lot of things, that's kind of what we're doing. We're spying the culture doing things and yeah. then and then telling it in some ways whether it's on a canvas on a film whatever books let, let me ask one last question thing. just before we go sure. just to kind of bring it full circle how are the kids today the ones that are the activist kids how are they doing yeah what are their what are their i know some of them are still in school some yeah. of them are off to college well for the most part they're doing really well so the kids are right is sort of the big thing um the anniversary was really rough. Uh, for And what I didn't think, and, and it, like Ryan Deitch uh, took me back. I always forget some things. Uh, the weekend before the anniversary, like on Saturday, he tweeted um, 
okay, I got to turn up the TV because too many FTD ads and for flowers and candy, uh, can't take it. Right? Because it was on Valentine's Day right. and those are triggers. And I had talked to Ryan many times about his triggers and he and his friends, there were three main things, um, any kind of sirens because the, uh, the fire alarm was going off, helicopters and any kind of like loud bang. It doesn't have to actually sound like a gunfire, but anything like that were the, the big three. And he didn't include uh, those because, of course, he wasn't thinking about them. But like every Mother's Day and every Valentine's Day, those different kinds of triggers. So he's still struggling. They all are. but And especially that week, but in ways that you wouldn't think. And I tweeted back like, thank you for the public service, though, to remind us weird things are going to be triggers. And and Matt Deitch, I was talking on the phone two or three days ago, um, and he said, this is a really hard anniversary day for me. And I'm like, why this one? Um, there's so many anniversaries. So the anniversary of Joaquin's funeral right. really hit him. Um, and then there was a particular day. Now I can't even remember. It was the day like a week later where something really happened that really got, set him in motion. So there's lots of things that, you know, different people that, you know, are going to hit that. Oh God, for and, Patricia, and, the, for the next Mother's Day again. Can you right. imagine no, Mother's Day imagine. or Father's Day with your kid? And, and what's David Hogg is... Going to Harvard, I to think Harvard it is. and Jackie Corn. And both Jackie Corn is yep. too. And what's Emma up to? What is she? Uh, she's to at do? a small liberal arts college. It's sort of like hippy dippy. Is just like exactly what she right. wanted. Um, is she there now? Yeah, or? she is. Yeah, because yeah. she was a senior, and so she's there. And um, she said she struggled a little bit because when she got there, um, I think she's at New College, which is I forget the name of it. That she's in right. Florida. Yeah, in Florida. Right. Yep. Yep. And she said it was like, it was weird and a little unsettling that like everybody knew who she was before, you know, she got there and she didn't want to be, she She wanted to experience college. She wanted to be a kid. Yep. Yep. But you know, and that's the kind of thing that like, you know, when Jodie Foster goes to college or anybody, you know, uh, actress or somebody's had a a degree of fame. um, So she, you know, I think she's she's an amazing kid. She'll figure that out. That's that's an additional tough thing, but she'll, she'll figure that out. And I hope you agree with me. I think my gut tells me this is going to be a generation of kids that we're going to hear from five, six, seven years down the road, and we're not going to stop. They're not going to wait. And we're going to see David Hogg. He's going to be the first one running for Congress. Yeah, He's totally going to be a Congress. That's fantastic. Like, and, you know, I saw – it's interesting, too, like – well, I will – it was uh, it was Lawrence O'Donnell, who I was with on the March day, and I can't remember uh, – who it was. He said, uh, I see him being, you know, like the next, you know, John Kerry or something. And first of all, I'm thinking, John Kerry, like he could do better than that. Um, but also, but, and, and the other guest was talking about like, yeah, I could see any of these kids, you know, being in the Senate or whatever. I'm like, I can't. David, yes. But I can see like Emma being like the next Oprah, maybe. Right. Cameron, maybe being the next John Oliver or something. David, I can totally see in Congress or running right. for president. Um, Jackie in politics, but something or running a company. But it's like, you gotta, the thing that made them great is they have different niches and individuals. Don't try to put them all in the same yeah, thing. Yeah. They have different kind of talents. And you know, actually, I get this Twitter pushback of like, oh, you know, because she's a girl, you didn't see Emma's like, I'm like, no, it's because I of said Emma. Oprah. I know. I said Oprah. You think John Kerry is a more important historical figure <laughs> than Oprah? First of all, like I would much rather be the Oprah of my generation. She's much more powerful and influential. Um, but also, it's like that's a person. Like Emma doesn't want to be like in Congress and debating. Is like she's going to be freaking inspiring yeah. people. Well, that's that's. But the, they have their own thing. They're, they're, the, the, I think there was a really broad cross section 
of the best of the best that kids can give us today. And it's what makes me hopeful. Me too. And it makes a lot of people hopeful. And this whole talk has just been kind of remarkable, Dave. And Good. I, and this is, a sto- this is a story of hope. And that's what Manny said last night. I was yeah. so glad. Because, yeah, the whole thing gives me hope. It's a story of hope. And, you know, if you haven't read Parkland, read it. It'll surprise you on just about every page. Uh, Dave Cullen has been on The Literary Life. I thank you. Thanks, And Mitch. I hope it's not 10 years. And I, I know, right? Well, I hope it's not this ex- another one of these experiences. I am never. If this is a trilogy, <laughs> I just fun. want... America, well, well, you better solve this and stop me from ever doing it. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I said I would never do two, but like... You will never do three. Yeah. And we'll be here for the next book, which hopefully will be out soon. Good, yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks. I hope you like what you heard and that you'll please share your review on Apple Podcasts and also give me your feedback at Books and Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to my weekly conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Revolver.com. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. Thanks for joining The Literary Life.